Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixed Down. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixed Down. Cranking up right here on 3CR. That's us, we're Communication Mixdown, and I'm Bronwyn Cran. And I'm John Langer. And this week on the show, the first of our two part series on how cities communicate. In this edition of Communication Mixdown, we're going to be exploring urban soundscapes and what our special studio guest calls the sonic identities of cities. He's Jordan Lacey, and he's a research fellow in architecture and design at RMIT University. He's a specialist in urban soundscape design and in nurturing the development of what he calls the creative city in order to enhance the social health and well-being of all the residents. Now, talking about sound, let's hear something that maybe Jordan can tell us about. And by the way, hello, Jordan. Hi, John. <laughs> Let's listen to this. See if you can identify this. Now, Jordan, tell us about that sound, because you know what it is, and I know what it is, but... You've said that that kind of sound has a very powerful symbolic importance in terms of what you call sonic identity. I was just uh, in Barcelona and uh, Den Haag in the Netherlands and um, one of the pleasures of walking around those old cities that feel a bit like museums now, um, slightly controversial, I Opinion, but they can feel a bit like that. But you can still hear those church bells ringing through the streets uh, that are relatively quiet in terms of not so much traffic and more foot traffic. And it's you can hear those beautiful resonant tails of the bells that you can't pick up so much in an audio recording like that, uh, that kind of linger if you really tune in. So as an oral experience, something quite beautiful. And if you listen to those bells in Melbourne, as I referred to in the article, uh, because there's so much noise, so much traffic noise and ventilation noise, all you can hear is that initial strike and then the resonant tail is lost in the noises of the contemporary city. Mm. So for me it was just an interesting way of thinking about uh, overlaying sort of historical sounds with, with contemporary sounds. Now just to identify that particular sound that we heard, it's a clock tower in Scotland in a, in a very small village called Hemsdale. And uh, you talk about, and this, this does relate to what you're just saying, you talk about something called sound marks. And I, I thought that was a really interesting idea. Give us a few examples of 
sound marks apart from the clock tower and the bells that you've talked about because you do talk about some of the sound marks that are distinctive to Australia, particularly to Melbourne. So the sound mark was a term invented by R. Murray Schaefer, who uh, led the World Soundscape Project out of Canada in the 1970s. And they were a group of five composers who were concerned about increasing noises in the city and wanted to do something about raising awareness um, of the uh, the soundscapes of the city and the sort of relationships we have with them. So that's, if you like, the uh, the marker or the beginning of the type of discipline I'm involved in, which is sound studies. So a sound mark is like the oral equivalent of a landmark. So we all know what a landmark is, you know, a specific feature in the landscape that people identify with as being part of the city. What would be one in Melbourne? Possibly the Art Centre Spire or maybe Federation Square. Mm. So a sound mark is, is a listening equivalent. And one of uh, Schaefer's concerns uh, was that sound marks were disappearing. So, for example, historically, the first sound that you displayed us would be a sound mark that marked the beginning of the day or the end of the day or possibly special events or possibly warning signals uh, was some, a sound that everyone could identify mm. with. This is our sound and it means this. Um, or possibly in a village or a, a city. I think my dad grew up in, in Clifton Hill when it was all factory sounds and you know possibly yes. then there were certain sirens that marked lunch or the end of the day that the community might relate to and that means certain events are going mm, to take place. Mm. So sound marks today in the city, I suppose the question is, uh, are there any? I, yeah, I'm, you, I'm not sure. In, in, <laughs> in your writing, you mentioned, for example, and I found this quite interesting, the, the, the gun salute at Anzac Day, the explosion of the gun salute. The other thing you mentioned was the sound of the school bell going off, mm -hmm. which, mm. I, you know, from my days, that, that was kind of... Where where we knew about and as you mentioned the, the siren fact the factory siren and so on, but those sorts of sounds are coming becoming less and less free less and less there for us to identify as as you described as landmarks sound marks or uh, less distinct. So for example, the tram bell I think is a is a great. I still remember as a kid getting on those old. Um, beautiful trance with the, the conductor and you pull the and it had its own distinct ring whereas now all the trams have an electronic bell that's well not all of them but increasingly more of them mm. so is it a sound mark when it becomes sort of consistent and almost bland and it doesn't stand out as something we can identify with that's the sort of questions i would ask yeah. And uh, something I, I, th I thought I was very taken with is you write very eloquently about the law I'll quote you back to yourself the lonely screech of the late night 67 tram turning corners deep in the heart of suburban Glen Huntley that's a very particular kind of sound mark that has significance it has uh, significance for me because I always remember uh, lying in bed and it would occur at about 11 or 11.30 it might have been the last tram and it was the only sound in an otherwise deadly quiet um, suburb and it spoke to me for some reason and I came to identify with it I came to get used to it and I think about who are the people on the tram are they mm. coming back from mm. work or are they going out to party or what are, what are they up to so 
So I guess in that sense, a sound mark can be personal, maybe something that just yes. an individual identifies with for particular yeah. reasons. We're, we're going out to the suburbs. That, and you also write very interestingly about the suburbs and, and the silence there. And, and you, you make the point that although the suburbs are quiet in, in the sense that they're different from the city, uh, the, the urban centers, that we shouldn't be thinking about it as silence. It's, it's interesting because one of the main things that people talk about when it comes to sound is noise and the issue of noise and there being too much noise and it's too loud. But the other issue that we don't talk about is, uh, is silence. And is silence a type of repression? And there's a few uh, theorists who've written around about this, like Brandon LaBelle and Emily Thompson. Uh, are we being silenced? Do people feel like they can sound their environments and express themselves in their environments in particular ways? So in some ways, I mean, if you have, if you have a party in the suburbs, the, the police will arrive to shut you down. I'm not saying that shouldn't happen, but it is an example of how we might want to sound the environment in our mm-hmm. own way and there's regulations that say we can't. So if noise is an issue, I think we also need to see silence as an issue and the way to respond to that is to think how can we sound our environment, which is part of putting ourselves in our environment and expressing ourselves in our environment. Now, as I understand it, what you're concerned about is that the these kinds of community-defining sound marks are in the process of disappearing and in a general kind of urban din. Is that is that correct in the way I'm, I'm explaining what you're thinking about? I, I think that that's a concern or an historical concern of sound studies. I, I don't know if it concerns me so much i think it's just something that can be identified and you can probably trace it back to changing social norms or changing cultural expectations sound is an expression of those things in some way so and as our society is changing the sounds are changing with it i i think that there's the danger of our soundscapes collapsing into a type of homogeneity where you don't find much diversity and that's what concerns me and that's what i tend to uh, respond to as a as a sound artist or an urban sound researcher. Mm-hmm. We'll get back to some of your interests in a moment. John, you are invited to Sampari Exhibition, celebrating West Papuan culture. Sampari, a series of events supporting the West Papuan people's goal for self-determination. Art, discussion, spoken word performance, debate and Melanesian food and culture. Friday, 8th December at 6pm till Sunday, 17th December. ACU Gallery, 26 Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. Go to Sampari Exhibition Facebook or DFAIT West Papua website. Sampari, brought to you by Federal Republic of West Papua Women's Office, a 3CR supporter. You're with Communication Mixdown. In this edition of the show, we're exploring how cities communicate and we're talking with Jordan Lacey about urban soundscapes and the sonic identities of our cities. Jordan, I wanted to play something that you provided for me. Um, This is something that I think you must have recorded. I just want you to explain this. Let's just have a listen to this and and, uh, other people too. People listening, listen to this. Walking around Batman Park... We're doing our first 
We have a, a microphone pointing towards our feet, and another one capturing the general ambience conversation. And we are heading in a westerly direction. Yeah. Weaving through train tunnels back to Spencer Street. Now, tell us about that. What was that all about? And, and was this part of the, the soundscape and the uh, sonic identity process that you were talking about? So this is a project I uh, collaborated on with Catherine Clover, who's a sound artist who's very interested in the, the sound of urban birds. And uh, we went for a City of Melbourne test sites project uh, on the basis of Kath's interest in bird sounds and my interest in infrastructure sounds. And we, exp- we spent a week exploring Batman Park uh, on the Yarra River and uh, listening to the sounds of the trains and the helicopters and the seagulls and people visiting the site and getting a sense of the rich sonic environment of what might be a bit of a neglected part of the city. So trying to draw out what's the everyday presence of this particular space. And that is a particular recording of us walking around the space and listening to the sounds and exploring. Mm. And and then we uh, culminated in doing a soundscape performance uh, with Batman Park with me uh, Im- imitating infrastructure sounds and Kath imitating bird sounds. <laughs> a little bit of what you can hear in there. <laughs> How very interesting. So you you imitate infrastructure sounds. Yes, that's what an uh, one of my specialities. What an excellent <laughs> skill set. <laughs> I want to play something else because this is another thing that you've been involved in. I'll just play it and then we can tell us about it. Now tell us about that sound, those sounds. That's uh, Sonia Lieber and David Chesworth's work, Proximities, on the Beeringmar Bridge on the way to the uh, MCG, which was commissioned for the Commonwealth Games. And I can't remember exactly the number of Commonwealth countries, but there's a huge number of countries where they collected uh, vocal sounds, uh, including uh, local uh, Wurundjeri. And those were mixed together into a live soundscape, and it's it's an it's an excellent work that uh, is is really interesting to listen to, and also seems to uh, persevere. Often, sound installations have the danger of switching off or not working, but that one continuously works. And what's great is it engages with a sports crowd, of course. So as you're walking across to the games at the MCG, you can be hearing this very rich soundscape. Do you do you ever do you get this? Is a question, I guess. Uh, m- possibly that you ask yourself do you get some kind of feedback on on how people respond to this or do you get some sense of its impact or its effect 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 on people i I spend a lot of time uh hanging around inside my own public sound installations for that exact reason and what you can say sound is deeply personal so one person can love a work and another person can really despise it because for whatever reason sounds can trigger annoyance or memories and sounds are deeply emotional 
so they get inside us and they trigger emotions and of course emotions are, are, are vast <laughs> sure sure um the other the other thing i wanted to ask about was that you, my sense of again from what you've written um is that the the sound that that you're interested in is what you've just talked about is artists who actually produce the soundscape this particular kind of artistic uh object or sound of sonic environment your your emphasis is that that really doesn't draw the community in the sense of drawing the drawing it it into the production process itself it's a kind of a the artist has a vision it's kind of a top down thing your view is that it needs to be much more bottom up and i wanted to play a particular work f- that you've been involved in um and then you can tell us about how how all of that fell into place Tell us about that. Well, there's so much I could say. <laughs> How long have I got? <laughs> um, that is a uh, work that uh, I, completed, I completed with um, some collaborators um, in affiliation with RMIT and funded by City of Casey um, in the Cranbourne, Narriwarren region. So they were building a new community hub. So we integrated an artwork in the plaza. Essentially, the artwork comprises of two sculpted basalt stones. One of the basalt stones has four aluminium strips in laid into it and this causes the stone essentially to become active so as you touch it the ground vibrates so what you could hear there was that hum very low hum see i can do infrastructure sounds Mm. and uh, so so you can feel it and hear it and also what it does is uh, twice a day at dawn and dusk for five minutes it does a performance where it plays back uh, what we call sonic ethnography sounds. So essentially, yep. getting back to your point, we work with the community to identify what sounds represent your suburb or what sounds are unique or special or stand out to you. And on the basis of that, uh, a group of sound artists then went out and collected those sounds or with field recordings, and then we put those sounds in the artwork. So the idea there is community engagement such a fraught term and it can Mm, be used for all mm. sorts of purposes so you have to be really careful how you apply it as an artist but if we want to create sound works and i think artists do have a a powerful role to play here in the city that can become meaningful getting back to the idea of a sound mark then part of that creative process needs to be find ways that the community can get involved in that so there is a sense Mm. of belonging and connection connection and identity so that was uh, our way of approaching that for this artwork touchstone how did you get the community to tell you what what sounds were relevant to them or important to them? Essentially, they had a local Facebook page, and I just jumped on there and said, "Hi, I'm artist on this project." And what's and I posed a question, and I got a huge amount of responses. Some of them were really funny, like the most interesting sound in this suburb is the voice in my head, you know, which is which is a really really. So I couldn't record that one. But there was, despite the concerns of council, that there's a lot of sort of social alienation, or or, or maybe you know a lack of um, connection with the local area. I there's a lot of civic pride and interest, for example, in the multiculturalism 
of the space mm, or, mm. or the youth in the space. And people like to talk about those sounds. And, 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 and mm. that's how coming from a sonic perspective, you can actually get a different impression of what people feel about their spaces. So, so based on these incredible responses we got, that's how we went out and then collected the field recordings. And have you been hanging around that site as well to see how people are responding to it? Not as much as I'd like uh-huh. because it's 45 minutes drive away. Yeah, sure. um, but we did the opening the other day or the council did the opening and they said if you want to uh, go to the artwork and hear about it, the artists are here and we had about probably 80 people crowd around the artwork with incredible... Uh, uh, diverse uh, mm, cultural mm. groups and age ranges, and they all had their hand on the stone at the same time and feeling it vibrate. So it felt like a powerful moment. Whether, whether they'll go on to form a connection is sort of out sure. of the control of the artist, of course, but, the, but that's what we can try and do. The other one th- thing that you mentioned about the community-based, and again, I think you're absolutely right, you've got to be careful about using community involvement, and so on, but there's something you've been doing near the freeway as well to do with noise and and making an intervention there. Tell us about that. So that was an industry-funded project. I I won't say who because I don't want to go go around giving free plugs, uh, but but it's easy to find uh, online. But essentially it was industry-funded projects to see if there's a way that we might be able to reactivate grasslands that exist beside noise walls. So essentially, some you know they carve a motorway through a mm-hmm. suburb, yeah. yep. and that can obviously be detrimental because of the impact of noise. Uh, and noise walls do reduce the volume of the traffic considerably, but there's always still some that pours over the top. So our proposition was maybe there's a way that we can soundscape that noise by capturing it live through microphones and playing it back through speakers at a very, only one decibel increase and mixing that with the background noises so you end up with essentially diversifying those soundscapes. So instead of the unchanging drone of traffic, you get these mm. sort of more diverse or um, varied soundscapes. So we had some ethnographers on our project who worked with the local community who came down and indeed they did say that as long as they couldn't hear it indoors, it did make them feel that they would... Uh, use their balconies or their backyards more often. So that was a, that I mean, nice. that was a very pleasing outcome. Yeah. Right. But I mean, we'd need a larger scale study yeah, to know if that's. I yeah. mean, I, I mean, ultimately, the best solution is not to have to mm-hmm, <laughs> live with those mm-hmm. noises. But unfortunately, some people do. So is there a way that soundscaping can improve can do that. quality of life? Yeah. Just um, we've got you know not not a huge amount of time, and probably we're getting close to the end. But just to go back right to the beginning, you, you mentioned this Canadian. Uh, sound person and is this a what you're involved in is this a global kind of movement in in some respects is it happening in many countries absolutely yeah i mean um murray shaper's world soundscape project uh segued into the world forum for acoustic ecology which is championed by Hildegard Westerkamp, who was one of the original members um, of the WSP. And the WFAE has affiliates in Australia, Canada, Finland, the UK, Hmm. uh, the USA, dozens of countries. Hmm. And they're essentially composers or designers or everyday people who are conscious of the sounds of the city. Um, but then there's a huge amount of others um, as well. In, I was recently in France and visited the Cresson Research Centre in Grenoble and they've been completely parallel uh, thinking about the sounds of the city and how it impacts on Very people as well. So so there's a huge amount of research uh, going into it. Yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. amazing. 
Very interesting talking to you today, actually, and I'm sorry, we're, we are running out of time. I've been talking with Jordan Lacey, and he's a research fellow in architecture and design at RMIT University, a specialist, as you've heard, in urban soundscape design aimed at improving the social health and well-being of city dwellers. And I guess, Jordan, the lesson for us today is maybe take those headphones out of your, out of your ears, away from your device, and start listening to the sounds around you. Thanks very much for being on Communication Mixdown. Thanks very much. That's it for Communication Mixdown for this week. We're here next Thursday for round two of our two-part special on how cities communicate. Next week, we're looking at the urban visual field all around us, the world of signs, billboards and sign writing, and their digital preservation.